Mac Power Users, episode 598, Home Networking. Hello and welcome back to Mac Power Users. My name is Stephen Hackett and I'm joined as always by my friend and yours, Mr. David Sparks. Hey, Stephen. How are you? I am good, David. What about you? Internet's working great and uh, I thought we should do a show about networking. Yeah. Why not? We're going to get into it today. It's a big topic, but I think we've broken it down in a a way we can talk about, uh, get our arms around it. So We probably should have done this at the beginning of the pandemic, but, you know, things have evolved, really, with home networking. We did a home networking show on Mac Power Users a long time ago, and, you know, this technology is always moving, and uh, there are a lot of ways you can make the internet faster in your home. I just did it recently, and that kind of got me interested in, in talking about it again, and we have got a thorough outline today. So when you get through the show today, you are going to get in the mail a merit badge, oh. a ne- networking merit badge. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's going It's going to have like a gold leaf around it. It's going to be very fancy. That sounds great. Yeah. I don't know who's <laughs> going to send it, but you know, it's not going to be me. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, well, before we get to that, a uh, couple little announcements. You were on uh, talking to the internet recently. Yes, I was. It was fun. Yeah. I talked about the internet, talking to the internet. It was fun. Yeah. Was, I listened while I was changing the oil in my truck. It was great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a great show. Uh, interviews with people who make stuff online. Fantastic. Uh, I've been there as well. So I uh, I definitely enjoyed your interview a lot. Kind of kind of the hippie angle of it all, but yeah. it was fun. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you are still about, well, I guess you're about to wrap up your uh, Kickstarter, right? It's just almost over now. Yeah, just uh, just a few days left as this comes out. So if you haven't uh, ordered or pledged for a Apple hardware calendar, now is the time. And uh, I'm excited. I've got, I got all my printing lined up. And uh, I got a lot of cardboard mailers in my future. Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna look great. I can't wait for this thing to come out, and it's gonna look amazing hanging on the wall. So, gang, if you're interested, you just have a few days left. And uh, to me, the big selling point still is like those great entries you put on the calendar. Like I love, you know, that I'll be like in the middle of April and be able to see some little bit of Apple history on my calendar. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's it's funny how some months have a lot and some months don't have any. I got a little. Uh, I had a September was challenging. Apple really likes September for launching things. Yeah. So I had it's to like get a little crazy. every day, right? Yeah. Oh, it's it's wild. <laughs> so before we uh really get into this, we wanted to go over some basic terminology and sort of the the basic flow of internet coming from an internet service provider like Comcast or AT&T, Verizon, whoever it may be where you are, and that getting from the outside world into your home and then ultimately down to the device that you're maybe listening to us on. There's a lot of steps. There's a lot of equipment in that chain. And so we wanted to kind of start at the ISP level and get more local, and then we'll sort of break chunks of this off in the rest of the episode and dive deeper. Yeah, and we're aware that not everybody listening is in the United States. We're trying to make this outline in a way that can be helpful to you wherever you are. But there is a, an inherent 
American bias here with the way that we get our internet, which isn't necessarily the best way, but, um, uh, but we're aware of that we did try and build that in the outline. So don't turn us out. If you're in France, we may be able to help you out as too. Yeah. Um, starting with the, just the term ISP, you know, what does that mean? Yeah. So that is your internet service provider. So that is, uh, at least here in America, in most places, the company you pay for your internet access. Now in some parts of the U S and in a lot of places in other countries, internet service is considered a utility. And so it may come through a public-private partnership like they have in Chattanooga, uh, a city here in Tennessee. It may be a wholly public utility. I've got my own thoughts about how we should do things. Uh, but at least here in the U.S., you fork over some money each month for access. Yeah, and largely in the U.S., this is a private thing, but they're granted, um, you know, I don't want to get too legal, but they're granted like little monopolies, and like a cable company will have really exclusive access to that market, but they're subject to certain government regulation, which kind of varies over time. So a lot of time, you're writing a check to a private company. Yeah. And that ends up in some sort of pipe getting connected to your house with a bunch of ones and zeros pouring through it from the internet. That's right. Or maybe trickling through, depending on yeah. on the yeah. level of uh, <laughs> the level of service you have. And, how big that check is. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and in a lot of places, if you're in a more rural area, you may have fewer worse options than you may in a bigger city. It's very uneven in a lot of places in the world. And ISPs use a lot of different technology to get to your home. And a lot of places, it's now fiber internet access, which is uh, can be very, very fast. Where I am, I have uh, internet coming in over coax cable. Yeah. Can I tell a story about this real quick? Yeah, sure. So I use I have Comcast in my house. Actually, I have Comcast business class because I run the company here, and that gives me some perks in terms of service and that sort of thing. Uh, but it comes in over coax, and I've wanted to move to fiber because I can get much faster speeds. And a lot of times on fiber, you can have speeds that are the same or closer as far as downloads and uploads. You know, my Comcast cable internet is like a gigabyte down and 40 megabytes up or something, right? It's very lopsided. Yeah. And I could use the upload. I mean, I do a lot of uploading of big media files. And the way our neighborhood is, utilities come in on the back of the lots. And so where houses back up to each other, there'll be a string of telephone poles. And that's where the electric comes in. That's where the internet comes in. It's not underground because our our neighborhood is very old. This, my house was built in 1952, the the problem I have though is that fiber through AT and T is available across the street for me at like full symmetric gigabit speeds. Yeah. But my house backs up to this big drainage ditch that goes through the neighborhood. It's like a big poured concrete, you know, for rainwater and stuff to go in. Yeah. And so for them to run it, they have to deal with the city because that ditch is back there. And so AT and T apparently just decided not to run fiber down my side of the street. So my neighbor across the street from me can have the internet that I want yeah. and I'm stuck with Comcast and it, it makes me sad, but that's really, that's how fine grain and chopped up this can be sometimes. Yeah. I, mean, I just have this picture of like 
Stephen at like two in the morning running this really long fiber line across the street <laughs> and like hanging Christmas lights off of it. You know, that would be what you do. You hang Christmas lights off of it. And then the next day, everybody's like, oh, Stephen, that's really decorative. That's really nice. And you're like, yeah, I love it. I love the holiday so much. I'm going to leave it up all year. Yeah. They're just, just across have, the street. You're like, I'm yeah. tunneling under the road. You're like, what is that noise? Uh- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, well, let's talk a little bit, though, about the differences between fiber and cable. Because I think a lot of people, by default, have cable. That was the first kind of mass distribution of internet in the United States. Um, cable uh, is, as Stephen explained, quite often very easy to get high download speeds and very hard to get high upload speeds. So... Uh, and the idea is generally you're streaming content and, you know, you're watching your Netflix or whatever. You want that fast download speed. Upload speeds aren't as important because most people are uploading emails and small bits of data at a time. And if you do something like, um, you know, an online backup service, you really feel that. Um, whereas fiber, which is kind of the new technology, uh, generally gives you parity. It gives you just as fast upload as download, and it's always really fast. Um or usually really fast, but it is not very prevalent in the United States yet. Like where I live, fiber is not even an option. I mean, I haven't, I went looking, you know, I haven't had it. I look about every six months and it's just not here yet for whatever reason. And we're stuck with cable. So I just have to deal with the inherent limitations of cable. But if you are fortunate to live in a place that doesn't have a drainage ditch behind your house and has a fiber run, one of the best things you can do for your internet is dump your cable and switch over to fiber. Yeah. Yeah. And you can look on these companies' websites and most of them have some place where, you know, you plug your address in and they tell you, Oh, this is available. That's available. It's not that much more expensive than cable from what I've seen. I don't know what your neighbor's paying for it, but, um, uh, it is a significant upgrade. Yeah. From what I've seen, online uh it's it's in line with what i pay but much better for my specific needs but in a lot of places you don't even have those options you may just have fiber you may have something like dsl which comes in over phone lines and is generally pretty slow and you may be stuck with something like satellite or or something you know that's uh that's really limiting in terms of speed and operation especially the more rural your area yeah i mean those can even be affected by the weather and um and one other limitation of cable that i should have mentioned was you know in the evening when all your neighbors are home streaming netflix your internet's going to be slower because cable there's a limited pipe for that you know for that channel of cable that's going down your street and when everybody starts hitting it, things slow down. Yeah, which is why a lot of people, I'm sure you got this too, I'm sure a lot of our listeners got this, when people were working from home, doing school from home, probably got those phone calls of like, hey, my internet's really bad, what's going yeah. on? And and most people don't know really what's wrong, and that's kind of what we're gonna, what we want to talk about as well. Is it the ISP? Is it your Wi-Fi? Is it, you know, something in between, so. Yeah. Well, let's start, though, um, Uh, At the ISP level, you know, you're going to pay a certain amount of money for a data stream down and up. And I think if you want to troubleshoot and get the most out of your, your, your networking situation, you need to be aware of what you're paying for and what you're getting. So 
I think at that ISP level, if you understand, you know, there's a there's a chain of hierarchy here. Fiber is better than cable. Cable's better than DSL. DSL is generally better than satellite. So you want to get as high up that ladder as you can, and then depending on you know how much you're willing to pay, you want to get the best numbers you can. But understand with cable, you are your numbers are going to be um, stacked in terms of download against upload. Mm-hmm. So what are you paying? right now and what are you getting i mean just as a kind of a starting point yeah so my business class account is about 200 dollars a month and it's yeah. gigabyte down and it's uh 40 megabytes up but with the um with the business connection there's also some perks and so i don't run into the issue that you mentioned which is very true that with cable and some of these other systems like DSL does this too, that during peak times, it's slower. I'm guaranteed those speeds 24 seven. And I have what was most important to me is I have priority support. So if I have something happen with the, on the Comcast side of things, uh, then I'm guaranteed someone on site within, you know, X amount of time and have better phone support and that sort of thing. So that's why I pay for it. I could get, I could get away with paying less, but the uh, the speeds are as good as I can get here, and that support is important because, like, without an internet connection, I can't work. Right? Like, I'm in a Google Doc talking on Zoom. Like, I can't do any of this without yeah. the internet. So, having that ability to pick up the phone and someone be here pretty quickly was an important factor for me, at least. Yeah, and like you, I I pay through the nose too. I pay about 150 a month. I mean, it's hard to say because if you add in the other fees, I have cable. I don't have, um, that's the best available to me. But then when you look at all the other fees on my cable bill, it gets way over $200, but we don't, we don't actually use cable TV. We don't have like a cable TV subscription. So it's all really for this internet. But Mm -hmm. in theory, my plan is $150 and I get a gigabyte down and 30 up, uh, 30 megabits per second. And I have never been able to clock it over like 900 so like and we're going to talk about how to test it later but even though i'm paying for a gigabyte i'm really getting 900 at best and um and i am on a domestic a uh, was a consumer cable plan i'm not on a business plan but but we upgraded um because we were at 500 when the pandemic started and i upgraded just because you know i've got two kids doing zoom college and, you know, my wife is, you know, doing job interviews and stuff. And it's like, we need to have good internet. And mm-hmm. and also, by the way, I do stuff with internet once in a while, too. <laughs> um, so so we have upgraded it. And um, I don't worry about it. too. I don't think about it too much how much I spend on it. But but we, we're both starting with a pretty good place. But if you, dear listener, you need to be aware of, you know, what are you paying for right now? If your internet's terrible... And you go check your cable bill and realize you're paying for like 100 down and 10 up. That's uh, that's as good as it's ever going to get for you unless you you know upgrade your plan. Mm-hmm. The the one other thing I would I would say when considering the ISP decision is data caps. And some of this has changed in the our COVID era, but a lot of these companies, if not all of them, have data caps. Or once you go through a gigabyte of data, then you're going to be charged X amount of dollars per X amount of data. They they all vary. They vary plan to plan. Some of them vary state to state. 
a lot of these have been rolled back during COVID, but some of them have started to reappear. So again, just another factor to be aware of if you're looking to change something or help somebody else with a decision. Yeah. All right. So you've got the pipe of internet coming in your house, yes. no matter what formats it in. Mm-hmm. What do you what do you connect to the pipe? Yeah. So the the first piece of equipment that's sort of in your home will be a modem. And that's obviously a very old word, right? I'm not talking about the thing that dials in uh, to the BBS. But uh, if you're on cable, you'll have a cable modem. You'd have a DSL modem. If you're on fiber, you'll have a fiber breakout box that converts the fiber into Ethernet usually. Basically, the modem is the, the dividing line between the company and your local network. and Usually they're vendor provided. So like with Comcast, they handed me a cable modem and I use theirs. Sometimes you can provide your own. Again, that depends on the company and the plan, all that sort of thing. Sometimes they charge you to rent their cable modem or their DSL modem, whatever it may be. And so if that's the case, if that shows up on your bill, you know, you can do the math for you and see if maybe supplying your own cable modem would be the way to go. Uh, I used to own my own cable modem. I had a Motorola, Doxis, whatever cable modem. And I had, what I ran into was anytime that I had a service issue, Comcast would blame my cable modem and basically not do anything until I proved that it wasn't the cable modem. And so I kind of just gave up and I used theirs and it's fine. We'll talk about how you can configure it in a little while. But the the modem is sort of the, it's the drawbridge into the castle, if you will. Yeah. And honestly, this can be the first point of failure because a lot of times the modem was given to you 10 or more years ago when the cable company came and hooked up the internet for you. And over the years, the technologies got better, the internet's got faster, and you are using a 10-year-old modem, which is going to cause problems for you. Even yeah. if you buy your own, you can have the same problem. Um, we use Cox cable and I've been generally happy with them as a cable company. I think they actually do try to have some, um, some sense of customer service. They called me up like a year ago and they said, well, you know, since I'm a whale and I pay all this money for the internet, they're like, we have a new cable modem for you. And I'm like, okay, let me be clear. Am I paying for this new modem? <laughs> and they're like, no. And I'm like, is there a rental fee? Is there an administrative fee? What What am I going to have to do in exchange for this modem? And the guy's like, dude, just come down to the store and pick it up or we'll mail it to you. But we have a new modem. There's mm-hmm. no fee, you know. And and so what it was was I had graduated to a high enough tier that they wanted me to have a better modem to to manage that. And they just sent it to me. So once in a while, cable modem company will uh, will surprise you. But but I do uh, have friends that uh, that are using very old cable modems, and then they replace the modem, and suddenly the internet gets way better. So yeah. <laughs> that's th- that's the first point of failure: is take a look at your cable modem, check into it. And the other thing is, like when they charge you that rental fee, you know, you're paying fifteen bucks a month to rent it, and you've been renting it for like ten years, and now you realize you've paid for a Hawaii vacation for this modem, you know, <laughs> and, uh, that's something you want to be aware of just to protect your pocketbook, but, but also just make sure you don't have an old modem because if that, that once again, you know, that is a point of failure at the very beginning. If the drawbridge, you know, is creaky, everything that comes after the drawbridge is going to be a problem. That's right. 
Now, I got to ask you, are you old enough to have used the modems that made the the hookup noise, you know, the screechy noise? Yeah. And okay. uh, when yeah. I was growing up, my parents' Windows 95 computer, that's how we uh, that's how we got on uh, the good old internet, you know? Yeah. You dial in, no one can call you because the phone line's tied up. It was, it wasn't great. It was oh, fun. yeah. We'd be in a very, like, intense game of online BB edit or B- bulletin board risk, and my mom would pick up the phone. And then I was out. I was dead. That was it. Yep. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm so glad those days are over. We talk about it nostalgically, but it was terrible when your internet could be ended at any moment because your mom picked up the phone. That oh, yeah. Bad. Or, yeah. yeah. Or, you know, your sibling that you made mad at for school. <laughs> so, like, go yeah. into or just, did, just did it out of spite, you know? Yeah. Like, he didn't need to call anybody. He just, he just decided to wreck your afternoon. Yeah. Way better now. Um, so that's that's sort of step one. And the the next thing, and this is where my castle analogy breaks down. What comes after a drawbridge? I don't know. I guess the the you know the wrought iron gate gate thing yeah, that drops down. Yeah. Great. Whatever's next after a drawbridge. Okay, let's just abandon okay. the castle. Okay, done with right. the castle. Let's go back to plumbing. Okay. After you've got the uh the joint for your uh, your cable. I don't know, man. This is this is going bad really fast. So the next thing in line after the modem is your router. Uh, traditionally, those were separate pieces, and over time, for a lot of people, they're just combined. So what the the modem is doing is taking the internet connection coming in from the outside world and managing it in a way that your local stuff using Ethernet can talk to it. Uh, what the router's job is, it's sort of the traffic cop inside the castle. It's made of plumbing. And the the router manages network on your, or manages the traffic on your network and hands out IP addresses to all of your devices. So each individual device on your network, so your everything from your Apple Watch to your computer to the security camera hanging over your garage, all of those are going to have an IP address and the router is in charge of handing those out and making sure that every that every device has its own unique IP address because you can't have two things on the same address. Over time, what has happened is that modems and routers have kind of folded into one thing. And so when Comcast gives you that cable modem, you can use that as your router as well. I mean, I've got, uh, a couple of people that I've helped set up over the years that that's how they do it because they just need something really simple and they don't have another piece of equipment. Maybe they don't want the complexity. And so that cable modem or that DSL modem or that satellite link, whatever it may be, chances are it can act as your uh, as your router. You can log into them. You can make settings. But you can separate them. Uh, and that's what I do. I think it's what a lot of sort of nerdier people do for more fine-grained control. Yeah, and um, and that's where you fall into like third-party products like um, airports and Eros and other you know router slash wireless solutions. And it's a little bit of a gray area here. I can understand why this is confusing for people because first you have the cable modem, or I guess at the modem I call it the cable modem because I have cable. Yeah, coming same. In. But the um, you have the modem, which converts the pipe into usable internet, and then you have the router, 
which does the IP assignment. And then right next to that, you have the Wi-Fi, which breaks it out into the air. And those are three distinct jobs, but depending on which hardware you buy, a lot of times they're combined. Uh, and even when you go to buy uh, an account from your ISP, a lot of them will give you a wireless router as well mm-hmm. and just combine it all into one. Yeah. <laughs> and none of, yeah. none of the stuff they give you is very good, especially when they put it all in one. But, you know, for a lot of people, they don't want to spend money or think about it. And they're mm-hmm. like, okay, I give you money and now I have internet. Right. Um, but I feel like the, uh, the, the modem slash router combination is the norm now more than the exception. I think so too. The, uh, the, if you want to separate them, though, so some pros there are you have your network being managed by something that isn't provided by your ISP. A lot of times these ISP modem router combinations, they may not be as as flexible as you want. And if you really want like modern stuff like Euro, for example, they've been a previous sponsor but for instance one thing they do is they offer some really in my opinion pretty good network filtering and so if you want to filter out adult websites or you know different categories you could do that at the network level with something like an Eero or and there's other products like them it's just the one that I use yeah and if you're just using the sort of all-in-one box that came from AT&T you may not have that option at all, or it may be pretty simple where something like Eero, you know, they're, they're updating their, those rules all the time and kind of staying on top of things. And so if you want more out of your network, having your own router can, can give you that. Yeah. And at this point, we're kind of going through the basics of these things, but the point of this show is to turn you into a power user on it because you have power, you know, once the modem, converts the cable coming in into the internet you can interject yourself at that point and we're going to talk later about dns services and filtering and all these things you can do at that level that affect the way the internet works in your house whether it's you want to keep poor now or whether you want things to go faster there's things you can do and once you understand the basic technology this isn't that difficult honestly mm-hmm. um, but you got to understand these individual components first so you know, we got the router and then what comes after the router? Yeah. So at that point you have uh, access points, which are just basically wireless base stations. Yeah. And then you have switches, which are small devices that take one ethernet connection and branch it off into many. So if, for instance, I have uh, one in my office because I just have one ethernet connection from my office to my house. So I have a five port switch mounted on the underside of my desk. And so I can now plug in five things to Ethernet in my office, even though I just have one connection back to the network. Yeah. And and switches, I think, are a key component of this because usually at wherever, you know, the Internet comes into your house, you've got your modem, router, and Wi-Fi right there. But a lot of times that's where it ends. And a power user move is to split the Internet right there. And like, if you're buying like these internet of things, home things, like a lot of the home kit stuff we talk about, a lot of times they have their own little individual base stations and those require an ethernet access to your internet. They've got an ethernet on a port, you got to plug it in. So what you do 
you know, go back to our tortured plumbing is before, you know, usually right out of the router, you insert a line that goes into one of these switches. And then like, I've got one under in my little internet closet that has like 12 separate ethernet jacks right there. Mm -hmm. And I'm not using them all, but I figure with the way I buy home kit stuff, I eventually will, <laughs> you know? So, so I've got a bunch of stuff plugged in there, like, you know, the Sonos little box and, you know, the, you know, the various home kit stuff I have is plugged in right there. And by the way, if you go on Amazon, you can buy like six inch ethernet cables. You get a bag of those and your life is so much easier <laughs> if you do this. Um <laughs> And get the colored ones so you can have like, okay, the green one goes to the Sonos and the red yeah. one goes to the whatever. And uh, that makes your life so much easier. But then the other thing I do with that is I've got a couple long cables plugged into that that are routed. And if you come to my house, you'll see like some cables along the baseboard in a couple places because I don't really have a way to drill into the walls. Mm -hmm. We're going to talk about cable runs later. But but it, that is the point where you can add those extra Ethernet cables. So now as a as a as a networking power user you're going to not only have your wi-fi at your internet closet but you're going to have cable runs and then like steven was talking about you get one of those cable runs and you can put another switch at the end of it like i've got a cable run to my to my writing desk and behind that there's a little four port switch which allows me to do things like send one to my i'm one to my mac and one to a router or whatever so uh, those switches are amazing because they really don't slow you down and they make it possible to get copper wire internet all over your house. So long as mm -hmm. you can deal with the cables. And they're super cheap. Like this is not yeah. an expensive addition at all. Yeah. All right. That's a lot of hardware. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is a lot of hardware, but we're, we're going to keep going after this break. This episode of Mac power users is brought to you by one password. One password is the tool that David and I both trust to keep our logins and passwords secure. We don't rely on memory. We don't rely on a, some sticky note stuck to the front of our iMacs. We want to know that our passwords are safe and secure and that they're available to us everywhere. One password lets us sync that data around to all of our devices. So if I'm on my phone, I can log into something with Face ID from here on my Mac, I can use my Apple Watch, I can use Touch ID on my laptop because 1Password is always up to date with what's going on on the platforms they've run on. For instance, 1Password is already ready for Mac OS Monterey. That's coming out later this fall. They had a blog post up the other day saying they're ready to go. They're always supporting the latest and greatest features. They're always supporting new technology that comes out to make accessing your logins easier. With 1Password for teams and families, it's easy to share logins and credentials with those in your life, either at home or in the office. You can learn more. Go over to onepassword.com slash MPU. There you can read all about this. You can get a free 30-day trial and you'll get 20% off when you sign up. Once again, that's onepassword.com slash MPU. All right, so if, if we're looking all, at all of this, uh, I think there's some considerations to make, like some decisions that have to be made when you're looking at upgrading or changing something on your network. And I think the biggest thing is speed, right? Yeah. Well, speed and reliability. 
Yeah. And, and that's where what we're talking about, you know, know what you're paying your ISP for and seeing if you're actually getting it. So if you're not getting that, say that you pay for 500 down and you're only getting 150 down, you know, you can start looking at, at what could be causing those issues. A great way to know how fast the internet you're actually getting is, is to run a speed test. And these internet service providers all have their own speed test that if you call them, they want you to run theirs. And that's fine, I guess. But I like having one that's not owned by my internet service provider. Yeah, I, I don't I don't <laughs> trust theirs. I want to use. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so uh, I like speedtest.net. It has been Me too. just like the default for so long. They have native apps on all of your on all the devices. I just use it on the web as well. They have an Apple TV app, Steven. You can run it on your Apple TV. <laughs> I should install it on my Apple TV. That'd it's be useful hilarious. because you want to know what kind of speed you're getting to your Apple TV. It's yeah. great. Yeah. And so this looks at the uh, the speed that your internet is uh, coming in and going out at. It also tells you your ping time in milliseconds, which if that is a real high number, that's going to make the internet feel slow. You're going to have a lot of latency in what you're doing. All right, I want to talk for a minute about speedtest.net and like the protocol for this. So if you've got slow internet, um, you want to remove as many barriers as possible when testing it. So the first step is you take like your laptop and I know modern Mac laptops don't have ethernet ports in them, but you can buy a USB-C adapter, you know, so get your dongle bag out and plug an ethernet cable into your router before it goes into your Wi-Fi gear or your switches or anything else, go straight from the router into your laptop and you run speed tests there. That's the starting point. Uh, because if you run it at the end of a bunch of switches and at the other end of the house, you don't know that there's a cable problem or whatever. You want to first find out what is the speed at the router. So this is the, uh, this is, the Sparky approved way. Just go straight to the router, plug your laptop in, run speedtest.net, and then you're going to really know what you're getting in your house. Yeah, that's absolutely the way to do it. But that's not the end, no. <laughs> because no, it's not. if you're getting if you're getting 900 at the router, and then you go and you and you have a long cable running to your desk, and you go to your desk and you're getting 400. A cable run should not cost you 500 megabits no. per second. No, it shouldn't. Right? So then you realize, well, what's the problem here? Are there switches in the middle? So then you take the long cable and you plug the long cable directly into the router. And, you know, this is just troubleshooting 101, but you have to remove as many variables as you can as you work your way through your house. And I haven't even got to Wi-Fi yet, but and we have a whole segment on Wi-Fi, but you can test Wi-Fi with speedtest.net as well. But I really think the starting point is find out what the internet speed is coming in your house and, and going through those cables to the various switches. And once you get, you know, the appropriate cables and switch combination that you're getting, if you're getting 900 at your, um, you know, at your router and you're getting 890 at the other end of the house through a long cable, then you're good, you know, but you got to get that locked down first because if you don't have the cables, um, appropriate cables and switches to get relatively the same speed around the house, then everything after that, the Wi-Fi and everything else is going to suffer. Yeah, that's right. When, when troubleshooting this sort of stuff, you want to do what you can to simplify 
the setup. So like you said, if there's a switch in between you and the router, bypass that switch. And you're yeah. you're looking to make things as simple as possible so you can narrow down the problem. And sometimes it is something as simple as maybe a switch that you bought eight years ago is starting to get flaky or the, you know, maybe the cable got uh, damaged somehow and you didn't notice. Uh, those sorts of things can cause real issues. Yeah, like my my sister-in-law had bad internet and she's working from home like everybody else. And she's like, Dave, I can't figure it out. I paid, she paid all the money to the cable company for the fastest possible speed. And she's like, I just don't understand. My internet is so slow. I'm spending all this money. So I came over and I realized she did, I tested it at the router. She had the speed she was paying for. At her desk, she had a, she had 100 megabytes per second, almost exactly. It was like 90, 98. You know what the problem was? 100 megabit switch? Yes, exactly. So she had a switch behind her, her desk that she had owned for, I don't know, since, you know, maybe the Atari ST was a computer. And, <laughs> and it was 100 megabits. So even though she had, you know, gigabit internet, as soon as it hit that switch, it went down to 100 megabits, and I took the switch out, replaced it. Actually, because it was like a, a weekday, I just went down to Home Depot and bought a switch at Home Depot, because that's where you can buy switches at Home Depot. For like 20 bucks, I bought a, a gigabit switch, and then all of a sudden her internet works. She thinks I'm a hero. But yeah. it was just an old switch. Hey, I, I've bought networking stuff at Home Depot. Uh, in fact, the uh, I'm adding in the studio edition, adding several more ethernet drops. And I just bought a spool of ethernet at home Depot. So I just yeah. walked out with it. But that, but that's an example. I mean, you can throw a lot of money at the problem and still not work just because one little piece of equipment yep. in the chain mm-hmm. is slow. Yeah. That's how it goes. Sometimes wireless is sort of the same idea in terms of troubleshooting. So if you have really good speed when you're standing, you know, next to the wireless router, but then you go, to your kid's bedroom that's upstairs on the other end of the house and it can barely connect, it's going to be that Wi-Fi coverage. And there's a lot of ways now to make that a lot better. That used to be a real problem, like trying to figure out the one place your one wireless access point could sit in your home to cover everything. But uh, we will uh, we will get to that. But if that's your situation, that, oh, the internet's fast in this part of the house, but slow over there, it's probably not your ISP. It's probably that wireless networking in your home. Yeah, I, I pr- correctly identifying the speed though. I think is is really something where you have to have an understanding of both cabled and wireless networking. We're going to cover both later in today's show. But but these sort of troubleshooting steps of plugging in, not plugging in, being aware of what hardware is between you and the internet when you run these tests is going to make all the difference. Yeah, and that's where the this sort of basic understanding can really save you a lot of trouble and, you know, the run around with the <laughs> the ISP potentially. Yeah. The other thing to consider too is that as time goes on, like your your sister-in-law's exa- example is perfect, your needs are going to change. And it may be that the way things you set up when you moved into your house 8 years ago Maybe that doesn't meet your needs now because eight years ago, maybe you didn't have a a bunch of kids with tablets running around or you didn't have, you know, wireless ring doorbell set up or so when you're running into these issues, it may not be that necessarily something's broken. It may be that you've outgrown something that you had set up previously. And that's where these troubleshooting steps can help you 
identify what that may be. It may be that your the internet plan you signed up ten years ago and never upgraded, and maybe that's not enough anymore in the 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 days of four K streaming. But chances are, it could also just be that the equipment you picked out or the location of that equipment, while it worked for a long time, no longer is suited to where you are today. And that's where adding additional stuff or, or reconfiguring things can get you back in good shape. Yeah. And I think that's one of the challenges with networking in general is the variables are always changing. Like we're recommending today that a one gigabyte switch is enough. Like when you buy a switch, they've got a rating. A hundred megabyte switch is going to slow you down like it did my sister-in-law. A gigabyte switch is going to be fine because rarely do you get internet into your house faster than a gigabyte. But there are 10 gigabyte switches on the market. Yeah. And if you want to pay extra, you can get that. And if you're sending data, not instead of from the internet, but if you're sending data from a, you know, a network drive to a Mac on the same network and you have 10 gigabyte cable and 10 gigabyte switches, that stuff's going to move a lot faster. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's a lot more expensive and tedious. I think if we record the show in five years, we'd probably be saying, yeah, you should get the 10 gigabyte. But right now, gigabyte's enough. But this is always changing. Like, you know, the rumors about the new iPhone are that it's going to upgrade the Wi-Fi to the V6 model that we're going to talk about later. And that will make everything faster. So the hardware you get goes faster. The internet gets faster. And you've just got to kind of like play this cat and mouse game with all your equipment and even your cables to make sure that you have the right capacity and the right bits to get the most out of it. Mm-hmm. That's why this is hard. I mean, uh, I think that you know networking is never really a solved problem. It's always something you can tinker with and upgrade over time. Uh, you know, like you said, the gigabit's fine now. And even if you went 10 gigabit, you got to make sure the computers have the ports, right? Like it's... Yeah, exactly. Th- these generational jumps in networking... They don't come around as often as they do in other parts of technology. So just because we're talking about, you know, hey, upgrading stuff, this isn't something you got to do every year or every two years, right? This is a sort of a longer term project or dealing with it as it comes up, which is how most people, including myself, deal with it. Yeah, like the the M1 Mac Mini, if I get this right, I'm, I'm going from memory. It ships with a gigabyte Ethernet uh, port in the back of it. Mm-hmm. But I think you can pay extra to have them put a 10 gigabyte right. Ethernet port in the back. I don't remember. I thought because it's like $100 or something. I don't remember how much they charge for it. But if you just go in the Apple store, you're getting the one gigabyte Ethernet port. So even if you get all the 10 gigabyte gear, you're yeah. still not going to be able to take advantage of it. You right. Know? Yep. And, and right now you're like, that's fine. But if you're still running this Mac Mini in seven years, and suddenly that's the bottleneck and you find out, oh, this is the reason why I'm not getting my new ultra fast internet to my, to my Mac mini. Cause the port on the back of it isn't fast enough. This episode of the Mac power users is brought to you by text expander from smile. Go to textexpandercom podcast and let them know you heard about it at the Mac power users to get 20% off. Text Expander removes the repetition out of your work so you can focus on what matters most. With Text Expander, you can say goodbye to repetitive text entry, spelling and message errors, and trying to remember the right thing to say. When you use Text Expander, you can say the right thing in just a few keystrokes. All of us are typing all the time, and it is not uncommon for you to run into some situation where you're like, hey, 
I already wrote this. Why do I need to figure out the words all over again? And that's where Text Expander comes in with you. With Text Expander, you just type a short phrase and it puts that uh, entire phrase in there for you, all written. It's better than copy and paste, better than scripts and templates. Text Expander snippets allow you to maximize your time by getting rid of repetitive things you type while still customizing and personalizing your messages. One of the things I love about Text Expander for Mac Power users is you can do things like put the clipboard in the Text Expander snippet. You can use Apple Script. You can have fill-in fields. So it gives you a prompt and you just type in a little bit and it fills that in for you as well when you expand the snippet. This is the way I do so much of my typing every day. Every time I come across something where I have that question, hey, I've done this before, I go ahead and write it one second time, but never again, because then I save it to Text Expander. And I've got this massive Text Expander library with thousands of snippets I've built up over the years. And I can easily search them if I can't remember the snippet phrase. And it's just always faster to have Text Expander at my back. So what are you waiting for? Text Expander can be used on any platform, any app, anywhere you type. Take your time back and increase your productivity, and you get 20% off if you go to textexpander.com slash podcast and let them know you heard about it on the Mac Power Users. So go check it out today. Download Text Expander, get started, and start saving time immediately. Thank you, Text Expander, for your support of the Mac Power Users. All right, um, let's get deeper on wired networking. I think you got to get wired networking nailed down before you get to wireless networking. Wireless networking is like the dessert here because, you know, once you <laughs> figure it out, it's it's beauty, right? To be able to sit in bed or go outside and connect to the internet. But first, you got to get the wired stuff down. You don't have an Ethernet cable strung up through like your mattress on your bed? That's just me? Oh, is that you? <laughs> no, I, I've got one hanging over the bed. There you, you go. Know, you never I, know. You, you it's know. on one of those like... um. It's like on one of those spring-loaded mechanisms where oh, yeah. I can just give it a yank, like at a gas station, you know. <laughs> uh, Daisy would love that. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so so wired networking. I agree with you that um, once you get this right, uh, things go a lot more smoothly. But let's talk about some pros and cons of this. Um, in my mind, wired networking using actual Ethernet cables has a lot of a lot of pros. Uh, it can be Faster and more reliable than Wi-Fi, almost always. You got a hard connection connecting two devices that doesn't worry about the wall in between them or any other interference or distance. Um, Ethernet has a distance cap, but for most home use, you're not going to hit it. Ethernet can also carry power. So if you have cameras or access points that require power over ethernet you can get a poe switch and you don't necessarily have to plug those things in that's maybe not so such a big deal in a home use but it is uh becoming more and more common i think as as internet of things devices become nicer on the high end yeah Uh, the other pro i would i would say here is that it is much more stable in the long term. So unless a cable, like we said earlier, is damaged somehow, which can happen, right? You run it through a wall, then someone comes along later and drills a hole in the wall and drills through your cable. I've seen it happen. It happens. Or the dog chews on it. The dog or... chews on it. You know, the, the switch gets yanked out of the closet by a toddler and the ends get bent. Most of the time, once you run Ethernet, you pretty much don't have to worry about it. It's going yeah. to to really just 
do its thing for years and years. And that's that's a benefit. And and you don't like, for instance, with Wi-Fi, sometimes you get interference from your neighbor or whatever. And like you just don't get any of those problems with Ethernet by cable. You know, you put a cable in the wall, you're good. But you know, also that that the gap is narrowing because Wi-Fi is getting faster and faster, and it it's always seems like it's catching up to Ethernet to uh, I'm sorry to cable run Ethernet. It it is, and for most people, the wireless is enough. I, I really think when we're talking about wired networking, it's if you're a desktop user and you need good local network access, which already like narrows the field greatly, right? Yeah. I mean, in the Apple world, the vast majority of Macs are laptops. And I would guess that the vast majority of those, when they get plugged in, it's only to power, right? It's not to other yeah. things. Although, like, you can buy these USB-C hubs that have Ethernet oh, ports yeah. in them. Yep. And that's really great. That's how I run Ethernet to my laptop when I'm at my desk. Oh, yeah. If, you, if you're using a laptop as a desktop replacement, you should absolutely look, look into that. Uh, the USB breakout thing I have has it. And if we're doing live shows and Ethernet's available, that's how I'll connect to the Internet on my notebook so I can, you know, stream the audio or whatever I'm doing from my my laptop. There are cons, though, with Ethernet. And the obvious one is the installation. It's the putting it in and, and managing, actually getting cables to where they need to go. And so... Uh, again, something I've been dealing with very recently and expanding my office, adding those Ethernet drops. I got in here before the drywall was up. So it was just studs in the walls. And I had my box of Ethernet and I drilled a bunch of holes in the studs and pulled the cable through and, and got them to where I wanted them and put you know boxes in and all that stuff. It's not hard work. Uh, it's a lot easier when it's new construction. But then it came time to get it into my current studio where the access to the network is. And so for that, we had to drill through concrete block wall and run conduit like out of the wall, then back through it. Right. Yeah. And if you're in trying to retrofit a house and there's a really great video by our friend Quinn, I'll have it in the show notes where he installs networking in his house, which is like over a hundred years old. It's a fantastic video that walks through it all, but you're going to be in the attic or in the basement, you know, on your hands and knees running cable it's not even glamorous. outside sometimes. Sometimes you'll see a run on the outside of a house. It's yep. just, you just never know. Um, agreed. Uh, the, the other, and you can hire somebody to do it for you as well. Oh yeah. If you want. And, uh, one thing I would recommend, like with new construction, Steven, and I would have uh, shared some links with you if I'd realized you were, but you've already drywalled. So it's too late for you. To, mm-hmm. But, uh, but one way to do it inside, and we're going to talk in a minute about these cables, but, you know, the actual what is an Ethernet cable changes over time. Yeah. You know, and and so the cables get more robust. You know, we're up to CAT 6 now, I believe, is the highest. That's the most common. You can get 7 or 8, yeah. but yeah. I think CAT 6 is where I recommend home users be right now. But, you know, let's say 10 years from now, everybody wants Cat9, and Steven's like, well, there's nothing I can do. Because when you drill a hole through a stud and feed a cable through, you're not going to be able to replace that cable without knocking a hole in the drywall. Yeah, because, not not easily, at least. I mean, maybe you yeah. get lucky with, like, pull strings and stuff, but... But even the... It, it's very hard to, mm-hmm. to feed that through, a, depending on how big you drilled the hole. But 
Uh, one way a lot of folks do it is they run conduit, like plastic conduit for cable channels. So you can actually run like PVC pipe and just you put soft bends in it. Like you don't put a really hard 90 degree bend in it. And then you can run cable inside the conduit. And then it's very easy later to go and just, um, yeah, you know, tie a string to the old cable and pull the new one through and you can upgrade the cable. So anyway, there's ways to do that, but, um, all this stuff is like money and time. Like, do you really want to put a bunch of conduit inside your walls and you know, how far then? <laughs> right. Like the, the ethernet drop, I've only added one to our house. I need to do a second one, but I just have been putting it off for five years because and a house was built in the fifties. Like the only way for me to get it down into a wall and we're on a conventional slab, we don't have a foundation. Yeah. Uh, right. So yeah. I can't crawl under it. It's just concrete. So yeah. I've got to come in from above. And so you figure out where the wall is and drill through the header and run the cable down in the wall. And you got to like fish it out and get it into the box and put the ends on it. Again, you could hire somebody to do this and that's a lot easier than it used to be. I mean, even probably five or six years ago, it was hard to find somebody who would do this sort of work. But as has become more common, more electricians and more contractors are willing to play ball with it. Yeah. So what I did, like I had a run when I moved my studio to the upstairs bedroom, my daughter left. Um, I actually hired a contractor for that. Cause I had him doing some, some lighting for me in the room. So I said, can you run a cable too? And it was not a big deal. And that was fine. But then when I had to move back downstairs, when the pandemic began, I took over a room in our house that was like, when you walk in the front door of my house, you're looking at my office, you know, I mean, cause that's the place there was room for me, you know, in a 1500 square foot house with everybody back home. And it's got a big tall ceiling and it's on a slab. There's no way for me to get cable from one side of the room, to the other short of like, I don't know, I guess going in the wall up to the roof and over, I don't know, <laughs> you know, so I just went very low tech. And what I did is I bought um, gaffers tape, that matches the color. I bought a roll of white gaffers tape for the baseboard and brown gaffers tape for like the wood stairs. And I literally carefully ran it along the base of the wood stairs and then around the baseboard and put, put appropriate gaffers tape over the top of the cable. And nobody really notices it. And I've got, now I've got a cable run from where the internet comes in to over by my desk. And then I've got a switch there that gives me a lot of options. Yeah. And if you're in a home that has carpet, you know, you could go oh, yeah. around the edge then of the carpet, golden. got rugs. There, there's lots of, lots of ways to do it. You know, you can string it behind a bunch of bookcases. Like you don't have to go up into the walls if you don't need to. Uh, sometimes that's your only option. Like in our old house where we sat the TV, that was the only way. And so I just, just got it done. But there are, like you said, there are other ways to do it. That's a very clever way to do it. I, I like that methodology on your part the um but the point of this is is if you do those runs that gives you more options because now you've got the same speed out of your router at a different place in your house and even when you get to wireless networking which now all of a sudden there's this new mesh wireless technology we're going to talk about later in the show if you've got more ethernet points in different places in your house your wi-fi gets way better because of those cable runs and um so this is definitely something worth looking into. And if you have a fixed desk in your house, whether you have a laptop or an iMac or whatever, 
um, having an Ethernet, you know, jack right at that desk means you will always get the highest Ethernet, like uh, internet. Like I get 900 at my computer at my desk because I have an Ethernet. Mm-hmm. run there i it with with wi-fi at best maybe i'll get 600 yeah you know? yeah that, that's that's why i've got it running out to my office and i had to use outdoor weather rated cable and i that is a run that i paid somebody to do because it was through the attic through a walkway through the garage through conduit into my office like this is too much for like me and a buddy <laughs> to take on on a saturday yeah. and yeah it means that sitting out here my router uh and my cable modem are in a different building my house my office is standalone but i'm just as fast out here at this desk as i would be sitting in that closet now do you guys get a lot of lightning there uh well it's going to hit the trees first uh okay (laughs) and uh i mean mean, everything is as grounded as it can be but uh yeah i'm not i'm not too worried about it well be, be aware if you're running even ethernet it's an electric cable oh yeah even if you bury it you can end up with uh with issues it's got yeah. it's got copper in there. That's what it is. It's twisted pairs of copper. Yeah. So, like in California, it's just not a problem. I mean, I one time I was in Florida in August, and I saw more lightning in an hour than I've seen in my entire life. <laughs> I in believe California. it. <laughs> but if you live in a place where that's a risk, you know, make sure you account for that. I don't, I, we don't want to electrocute you. No, you know, that's not our, not our goal this time. <laughs> Uh, and that's maybe an upside to Wi-Fi is you don't have to worry about lightning strikes on a Wi-Fi signal. Yeah, that's right. We mentioned a second ago, cat six, there are different flavors of ethernet cable. Cat five was the standard for a really long time. It can support gigabit speed up to a hundred meters. Uh, that's cat five E is sort of like the second, uh, version of that 5e cable is pretty thin there are different ratings of cable there's like riser cable and there's plenum cable it's designed to be put in different environments so it's designed for instance maybe to run in a wall or run in the open plenum space above a drop ceiling you need to do your homework and make sure that the cable you're buying is appropriate for the place you're putting it a lot of that has to do with fire safety rating, that if a fire breaks out, how likely is the cable and its shielding to uh, become flammable and potentially be a conduit for the fire to move elsewhere? Uh, so it's, it's something to look look at. But uh, Cat 6 is really, that's what I've run in both of my houses now, our, our first house and now this one. And uh, it can do 10 gigabit network for a limited distance, but... Uh, is still capped at a, at a hundred meters, which is nowhere. I mean, I'm nowhere near, near that in any of my runs. And if you're listening to this in the future, check into it. Cause yeah. this is something that's going to change. Yeah. Gonna, and there are people you know, now who would say be... like, I know, uh, the Armets, uh, and their beach house, they did I think market to cat seven. Uh, cause it's all 10 gigabit, but it's yeah. I mean, check in cat six and cat five E you can walk into home Depot and get a box of, uh, six is thicker and harder to manage. So just be mindful of that when you're installing, like you don't want to make any tight turns with this anyways, cause you could damage it, but six is a little bit beefier, but it's still totally workable. It's, it's nowhere near as thick or as stiff as something like coax cable is. But, um, yeah. six is what I've gone with. That's what I put in the office in those new drops. And I would say if you're going to pay somebody to put it in, 
get the most expensive cable you can find because yeah. the labor is going to be the the most expensive piece of that. Yeah, so that's what you're paying for. You yeah, absolutely. Also, um, you know, there's another kind of w- wired internet that people look into, and this it's the power line, yeah, um, adapters. And so these are things you can buy these online and at Home Depot again, but they they sell these adapters that you plug into the power line of your house, you know, the plug that you plug a lamp into, and then you plug the other one in wherever your your Ethernet drop is in your house. And it uses the electric cable in your walls to run internet through the walls. And it's just like kind of like hijacking your electrical lines to run an Ethernet run. Mm-hmm. Um, these are a little touchy. I used one for two years, um, because there was a time where, you know, Mac power users and Mac Sparky headquarters was a corner of the bedroom and there was just no way to get a cable run up here the way our house is laid out. And I wanted to have something better than Wi-Fi when recording shows and, and screencasts. So I, I got some of these power line adapters. They cost a couple hundred bucks for the top of the line at that time. That was probably seven, eight years ago. And they work okay. There's a couple things. You can't have any, like, um, you can't have, like, anything between the wall plug and the adapter. Like, you can't plug it into a power strip or something. You've got to go straight to the wall. And then you have the Ethernet run plug into the source. And then the other one, and they, they like, find each other. They pair. And, and I found it was more stable than Wi-Fi at the time. But given modern Wi-Fi speeds, I'm not sure how useful these are at this point. Yeah, I kind of think time has passed them by unless you're in a really specific situation. Uh, There's also Mocha, M-O-C-A, which is similar, but it uses coax instead of power. I really view these as like a serious last resort. Uh, I've never used them personally, but I've had customers who have with kind of mixed results um but they're out there and they they are an option if you need them but my general feeling is to try to uh try to avoid them and you know like you said wireless has come so far especially with the mesh stuff that i think the need for these is is getting less and less over the years yeah i i would much prefer if i had to do over again i probably would have done some goofy ethernet run um, instead of this, because I feel like yeah. this was kind of a kind of an empty well at the end of the day. Yeah, I, I've even seen people run Ethernet like up around crown molding, like up at the top of their walls. <laughs> you can do all sorts of stuff. Um, I, I mean, I was just looking this morning because I didn't do the best job of taping down some of the Ethernet cable. You can it kind of is in the middle because the dog was jumping on me while I was putting it in. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I could have done a better job with it, but honestly. I don't think somebody's going to come to my house and say, oh, you are very low class. You have <laughs> Ethernet cable on your baseboard. You know, if I don't an, think people yeah. care. If they're an MPU yeah. listener, they'll be impressed. So, Yeah, exactly. And if they're not, they're going to be really impressed with my my Internet speed. They're going to be like, wow, this guy's got <laughs> good Internet here. Yeah. Um, one, one more Ethernet thing. I'm going to have a link in the show notes of how to actually put the ends on the cable. That's an extremely difficult thing to talk through on a podcast, but... You can get the tools. They're readily available, even at hardware stores. And with a little bit of practice, you can be totally proficient at putting Ethernet ends on cables. I've done it for years, and it's really not difficult. It's really not that daunting. Just take your time when you learn, and you'll be knocking it out in no time. 
Yeah, and there's a real benefit to that because the shorter the cable is, you know, the less mm-hmm. problem you have with like degradation and yeah. Or you can run to break. just the length you need, right? So, yeah. like for me, I bought a box of it and ran each of those those drops in the wall individually, so I don't have a big spool of cable somewhere. Now I still have a little extra in case you know the switch moves or something, but. Uh, I wasn't going to go buy three, you know, hundred foot cables from Radio Shack and then like drag them through the wall. So do, making your own, putting your own ends on them lets you make just what you need. And it's easier to pull through a wall or a conduit without a big plastic connector on it anyways. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by our friends at Memberful. Memberful is the easiest way to sell memberships to an audience used by the biggest creators on the web. Generate sustainable recurring income while diversifying your revenue stream. At Relay FM, we've been using Memberful since 2015, and in 2020, when we relaunched our membership with new features, Memberful was right there with us. It's been a huge success, and our membership really has brought stability to the business, and that's thanks to Memberful's excellent tools. They handle the hard stuff so we can focus on what we do best while earning revenue. While leaving us with full control and ownership of everything that relates to the audience, brand, and membership. Memberful has everything you need to run a membership program. Optimized checkout, Apple Pay support, easy member management, dashboard analytics, free trials, gift subscriptions, and more. And Memberful seamlessly integrates the tools you already use, including lots of fully managed integrations with popular services like WordPress, MailChimp, Discord, and more. To check it out and get started for free at memberful.com slash MPU, there's no credit card required to try it out. That's memberful.com slash MPU. See what it could do for your creative business. Our thanks to Memberful for their support of the show and Relay FM. Okay, it's dessert time. Let's talk about wireless. All right. Where do we start? Uh, let's start in the old <laughs> days. Uh, yeah. Most people for a long time, maybe even still today, have just single access point wireless. So maybe it's that ISP modem slash router slash wireless access point you got from Comcast. Or yeah. maybe it's something like for me, for years, it was a single time capsule. and I did what I could to get it as close to the middle of my house as possible. But as soon as I was out of range of that thing, I was off the internet, right? I was off the network. And that was a bummer. And you could do things like Apple had the airport express for a while that was meant to help extend your network. But boy, I put a lot of those in, in my time and what wasn't ever really what you wanted but that's really changed now with this uh, this mesh networking. And we'll talk about your very recent experiment with uh, some of the newer versions of that. But now you yeah. can have multiple wireless access points all talking to each other and have a, a more even coverage across your whole house or, or even property. You can get the, the yard involved too. Yeah. Um, and as Stephen summarized, I mean, you had the original Wi-Fi protocol was you had a point of Wi-Fi in your house, which was usually right next to your router. And that was the beacon, and that was it. And the further away you got from the beacon, the worse your internet got. And the only way to 
get that better was to get a more powerful beacon, but there are rules and you know, laws about how powerful it can be because they don't want your beacon to be so powerful that it screws up somebody else's beacon. And, um, and that was that until about, I don't know, 2015 or so. The first product I was aware of, the first commercial product I was aware of that had good mesh networking was the Eero. And they did become a sponsor at one point. They haven't been a sponsor for a long time on the show, but I bought a set of them back then and had an, Im- an immediate improvement because what mesh networking does, and I guess I'm going to simplify it here. So if you are a networking professional listening, please don't feel compelled to write me. Um, I'm just trying to make it simple. But mesh networking basically has dual band where it has got a whole network devoted to sharing the internet baseband across your your network. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they call that the backhaul. Okay, and then they've got a separate band that is where you plug in with your devices to plug into that backhaul. So it's, in, in essence, at the beginning at least, dual band or two radios in each device, one to carry the internet and one to give you access to the internet. And since the backhaul is always sharing this and frankly, the more of these mesh devices you had, the stronger the mesh was. Um, it really allowed you to expand the available internet in your house. It, it did not give you faster speed than what you had coming in the house, obviously, but it gave you better access across the board. Is mm-hmm. that fair? Did I do it okay? Yeah, no, absolutely. And and some of these now, you can use Ethernet as the backhaul. So say that you've run ethernet out to the, you know, edges of your home and you could plug in one of these mesh network access points and it will use ethernet to speak to each other. Yeah. Pretty sweet. Um, <laughs> it's real sweet actually. Yeah. I mean, this was the stuff, man, I I were just like when I was consulting a lot like, you know, gosh, like 10 years ago, very often I have clients with big homes, right? And this was a real problem. It's like, well, there's there's internet here, but if I go in the kitchen, like there's no wireless, right? And you would try to like yeah. piece something together or you'd have to go buy like professional enterprise equipment from like Cisco or somebody and put just extreme overkill into a residential or even small business environment. And now with Eero and Linksys and Netgear and all these companies that are in this now, I mean, it would have solved it would have solved me so many headaches ten years ago. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's it's really great to be able to say no matter really no matter what your physical layout is, we can get wireless basically everywhere. Yeah, and in the old days they had what they called repeaters, like the Airport Express was a repeater that would try to like catch the signal and resend it or, or amplify it, but there was no backhaul behind it. So it really was a band-aid. It wasn't really a fix. And um and now we have that. And it's been going on now for about five years. And I bought a set of Eero when they first kind of hit the hit the ground. I was I think it was at Macworld and one of my Mac nerd friends was saying, oh man, I bought this and it completely changed the game. And up until then, I had been an airport fan because Apple had the airports that were easy to configure. And, you know, they Apple had a good ecosystem for that technology. But it was also clear Apple really wasn't interested in going to the next level. So I had three Eero, and then they sponsored the show, and they sent me three more. So I had six of these things all over my house. 
which was great. I mean, we had solid internet and it was working right up until the time of the pandemic. And then when we started hammering the Eero, it wasn't enough anymore. When we're talking about uh, wireless, there are some security things we should keep in mind. And a lot of these modern systems like Eero or the Netgear, the Orbi, there's all different things. Most of them you manage from an iPhone app now instead of like a janky web interface. And a lot of them will walk you through the setup of the network and where things should be plugged in and that sort of thing. Uh, But you do want to take some basic security precautions, making sure that your network has a password, right? Making sure that that password is not easily guessable. Uh, Because in the old days, someone could just plug into Ethernet, but they would need physical access. But now with these wireless networks... Your neighbors are going to see it. You know, sitting in my office, I see four or five wireless networks from the houses around me. Someone out on the sidewalk could see it. And so having a good password that's not your address, (laughs) uh, that's not easily guessable, uh, will keep people off your network. Because once they're in your network, then, you know, they have access to anything that's on it, access to your internet connection. And that's not a situation that you want to be in. And a lot of these... Uh, applications, you know, these iPhone apps that manage this uh, can walk you through that as well and tell you if your password is uh, is good or not, which is pretty cool. Yeah, and honestly, um, the password protocols have changed over the years too. Like some of the older hardware supports older security protocols that have been that have been hacked at this point. Like if you have some of the older encryption methods someone in the, on the street in front of your house can get into your network. So you want relatively modern hardware that supports the latest password protocols. I guess we hadn't really mentioned this earlier in comparison to copper, but you know, it is a risk, you know, whenever you put your data in the air. Yeah. Yeah. If someone's on your network, they'll be able to see what's on it. But thankfully almost everything we do on the internet is encrypted with HTTP, HTTPS, HTTPS. Yeah. I can never get the letters in the right order. Uh, and so it's not as scary as some would make it out to be, but you also don't want people to be on the same network as your security cameras or your thermostat. Network attack storage. Right. Yeah. Um, all that stuff would be visible to them. And so having that password there is uh, is critical. And, you know, WPA2 is is the the standard password i guess security scheme for wireless it used to be like wep and then there was wpa there've been different ones over the years yeah. so i ran into this because i got a bunch of old computers that won't connect can't connect to my modern WPA wireless too. right yeah um and yeah. so sometimes you can set up a guest network what i normally do is i just plug those into ethernet like i trust them because they are machines that I like I am putting this on my network I know what I'm doing uh, and I don't yeah. want to downgrade my security and so I use ethernet for that um the other thing to consider with with passwords is you know if, if people come over and they'd access to it um one of the, one of my favorite small features that iOS has ever been granted is the ability if like say that I'm at your house and I don't know your wireless password when I go into settings and go to join it, your phone will get notifications. Hey, do you want to share your password with Steven? And you just yeah. click share. I don't know what it is. I don't see it, but my phone gets it. And then my phone can yeah. be on uh, the wireless. So don't think that, oh, if I set a good password that every time 
you know, someone comes over, I got to share it with them. Even that has become easier, at least in the Apple ecosystem. Yeah. And also a lot of the modern routers and Wi-Fi systems have the secondary guest network support built in. I mean, that's a feature of Eero. This this episode is not an Eero ad, but both of us use it. So you're going to hear about Eero. But the uh, Eero has a guest network feature, and I know a lot of the other competitors do as well. But we have set that up. And we actually have a little like picture, you know, like a, it's like, I don't know, like 12 by 10 inch picture frame. Mm-hmm. And in it, we have the name of the guest network and the password for it that we keep put away. But whenever we have like a party or a bunch of friends over, we just hang it on the wall. Nice. And then when they leave, we put it away. But like when my kids have their friends over, I don't want to give a bunch of teenagers access to my whole network. You know? Yeah. I just, <laughs> I just don't feel uh, that compelled to do that. And, but, but they can get into the guest network that way. And, um, and we, we like to, you know, host people at our house. And so we always have that out. We just pull it out whenever they come over. So there's a lot of ways to do it, but um, uh, having a guest network, I think is a really good idea mm-hmm. in terms of security protection. Yeah. Also the, uh, the Wi-Fi protocol has also changed over the years and like i think it started out a and then it was b and then it was x and at one point i think it was ax and and but now they've they've got simpler the new wi-fi protocol out 2021 is they call it v6 and yep. i'm like that is so much better yep. yeah at wi-fi 6 yeah it was uh i remember there was a software update for like macbooks to go from like uh, bg and a to 802.11n which was sort of yeah. an intermediate oh, step for a while. Forgot about that. It was yeah. like, oh, I got to download this update, and then my Wi-Fi gets. It was a very strange time, uh, but yeah, Wi-Fi yeah. six is the the current uh, version. You can get uh, most routers with it. Uh, Apple stuff is supporting Wi-Fi six. They're rolling that out across their new products. So this is kind of where we are right now as a successor to eight hundred two eleven AC, which was uh, what we had for a a long time. I mean th- these don't last 10 years. I mean these are, you know, a few years in between, but yeah. The no- the names are much better now. Yeah, and the interesting thing about Wi-Fi V6 is it, it feels to me like the mesh networking upgrade to Wi-Fi because it it upgrades the speed and they estimate 37% uh, speed increase, but the throughput is a 400% increase which is exactly what you need for like a backbone of a mesh network is you need the ability to move the internet very quickly between your devices. And this is a massive improvement for that. And that is, if you're using mesh network gear, uh, Wi-Fi six is going to be something you really want to pay attention to. Tell me about this, uh, this experiment you've done. Even though we had the arrows and we were getting internet throughout the house, we were dealing with speed problems and it just wasn't that fast. And when you have, you've got, you know, two kids in zoom college and, and me doing stuff on the internet, my wife on the internet, uh, we were increasingly having, you know, bandwidth issues and it, it no longer was the complaint. I can't get connected to the internet. The complaint is my internet isn't fast enough. And so I had this like crazy six arrow system right and i'm thinking there's nothing i can do to make it any better i've got the top of the line stuff and and i'm good and then i started researching and it had been a couple years honestly since i'd researched wi-fi and i'm like oh wait now they have wi-fi six and they have wi-fi six routers 
And I thought, well, I guess I don't have top of the line anymore. So I started looking into it. And since I like Eero and I've been using their equipment, I started researching. And they've got two sets of, of, of Wi-Fi 6 rated routers. They've got the standard one, and then they've got the Pro 6. And the Pro 6, I think, is made if you've got like a 3,000 square foot. Or they say 6,000 square feet. You need the Pro, <laughs> right? You know? And you can get the Pro, a three-pack, for $600. And you can get the standard three-pack for, I think, like 350 So it was like another 250 bucks to get to the Pro. But I'm like, you know how it is when you're a nerd and you want overkill? You want right? the most overkill possible. Yeah, and I knew there was no chance I would ever be happy with just the standard if I knew the Pro existed, right? Um, and they also have the Pro available in a two-pack for for $400. So uh, just slightly more than the standard three pack, you can get a pro. And I thought, well, I could do that. And then I could always just buy a third one if I needed it. But I had these six units. And and one of the things was kind of like um, manufacturer lock-in because you can use the old Eero devices with the new Pro 6 routers. I thought, well, I've got all these extra ones. So this will help me you know, get it further around the house. So either way, I, I ordered the three pack of the Pro 6 routers with the full intention of returning them because i felt like there's no way it can be worth six hundred dollars and at the time i was getting about a hundred even though i was getting like 900 speeds on my copper wire i was getting like 100 speeds on my wi-fi around the house you know and i just figured that's just the way it is you know wi-fi is not as fast and blah 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 and so i bought these things and I installed them around the house. It took me all of about a half hour. And I used the Ethernet drop upstairs. I had talked about earlier. I had somebody professionally install one. So I, I used that. At, I used the one at the closet where the internet comes in. And then I ran a cable along the baseboard to another part of the house. So I actually created three Ethernet backhaul lines for it. And I had the same thing for what the, the euros before. So it wasn't that the backhaul helped, you know, the copper backhaul fixed it. And then I put these three in. I didn't even, I just turned off all the old equipment and just did the three. And I thought, well, I'll use that as a starting point and then I'll figure out what I do with the rest of the gear. And, um, and I put the three in and my internet download speeds, which were around 100. The first test I did was 600 megabytes per second. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Like, I'm like, is this something? What is? What's going on here? Did I do? So, you know, it's like it was. I couldn't even believe that I got a six time increase with this improvement. You know, um, and going around the house, like in the girls' rooms, which were are pretty far away, um, they're getting like 500 down. Um, I I just you know, it's rare that you do a computer upgrade and you get a five x you know increase in your um in your gear. And, uh, that was a very happy day for me. So I have, I have not returned them. Amazon kept my $600 and now I have a very fast Wi-Fi in my house. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, thinking back, I probably could have bought the two pack, the $400 two pack, but I'm not going to like go through like exchanging it. Cause I have a 1500 square foot house, but not only is the internet work great in my house, like I've got cameras, on the eaves of the driveway out in front of the house. Those are way better now because, you know, the internet's so good. And I like to work in the backyard, which was always kind of iffy before. And now it's like rock solid in my backyard too. 
So like, I'm just like dripping in internet now. Like if, if we find out Wi-Fi causes cancer, I am a dead man. <laughs> I think you'll be okay. Yeah. But it's great. Um, it was a lot of money. I wrote about it, the blog post I've heard since from some lit cause it, it made the rounds over in the forums and like, um, TJ bought a pair, same thing. He was going to return them. And then all of a sudden he had a similar, um, he had a similar result where everything got way better. So he kept his as well. But, and, and I don't think you have to buy Eero. I think any of these Wi-Fi six devices are going to give you a similar result, but, uh, I'm just really happy with it. And, like I said earlier, it's, it's, it's fun, you know, when you do some kind of technology upgrade where everything suddenly gets way better, you know, and with my kids are still in zoom college and we're all doing our thing. Wi-Fi in my house is just no longer an issue. Yeah, that that's awesome. And that really shows like that was the slowdown, right? Cause you went through those steps we spoke about. Okay. With on ethernet, yeah. it's really fast on wireless. Yeah. It's not. Well, that tells you where the domain of the issue, right? Yeah. That's yeah, really neat. And like we run ethernet. I mean, I'm sorry. I run Wi-Fi to my Apple TV because I, I just don't have a way to get a cable there mm-hmm. easily. And, and like now even watching TV when the whole network, you know, when the whole neighborhood is busy, I still get better quality television, you know? Yeah. Because your bridge like to that internet is better now. Right. Yeah. Because uh, it's all it's all links in the, in the chain, and whatever the weakest link is, that's going to be the speed that you experience. Yeah. Yeah. So Wi-Fi version six, gang, it's for real. If you've got uh, problems with your Wi-Fi, I recommend looking into this because this stuff is uh, it's just it's not a ten percent increase. In my case, it was a minimum five x increase. So that's worth paying attention to. Yeah. Absolutely. If it had been like a, even a 50% increase, I probably would have returned them. You know, it's just not worth it to me to get a small improvement for that much money. But with this, you know, like, you know, suddenly like 500 is slow for me now. (laughs) It's amazing how quickly you get used to the speed that you're getting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Have you done that yet? Have you gone to a Wi-Fi 6 with your house? Uh, I haven't. So I've got the original eros and yeah. my speed's better than yours but it's not it's definitely not anywhere close to what it is wired and so i've uh, i've ordered a set of the pro <laughs> six to do yeah because i read your story and i was like oh i should do that and then i knew that the show was coming up yeah. and then i read then you wrote in the notes like you know what you recommend is like, okay i'm gonna i'm gonna get on this so uh i will be redoing those and i'm hoping that i can actually use fewer than I have now because I have a couple of the old like plug into the wall extenders and I'd like to have everything yeah. on Ethernet. So uh, hopefully I will be able to to get away with uh, less and get more. And the, the old my old Eros, um, occasional guest on Mac Power users, Leanna Lahua, she was on the show last year. Yeah. She volunteers with the um, wildfire teams, California wildfire teams. Le- Leanna is let me just say she is awesome. Like if, if the zombie apocalypse ever happens, I'm going to like call her up and let her get me through it. And, uh, but so she goes out and volunteers with the firefighters when these wildfires hit, she took my old Eero sixes and she built a mobile internet station to use when they have these base camps for these firefighters. 
because I don't know how she figured it out. She's doing some kind of wireless to Eero and then building among the trucks out there a mesh network in like the wildfire area. Wow. <laughs> That's cool, right? Um, but either way, uh, it, it really, I'm glad my old machines are getting used and I'm really happy that my kids uh, are no longer giving me a lot of grief about their internet. That's the real win, I think. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Pingdom. Go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM and let them know you heard about it at the Mac Power Users with offer code MPU to get 30% off. If you have a website, what purpose does it serve? Whether it's driving people to your products or collecting sales leads for your company or just providing customer service with a contact form, when these critical transactions fail, you lose out on business, not to mention bad experience from your users. But there is a solution. Transaction monitoring from Pingdom. Starting at just $10 a month, transaction monitoring runs checks 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and will alert you when cart checkout forms or login pages fail. Before they affect your customers and your business, you should know. Pingdom will notify you the moment there's a failure over SMS, email, or via your favorite apps like Slack, Ops Genie, and PagerDuty. Depending on what's being monitored or the severity of the outage, you can customize who's alerted and how they get the notification. Don't let your users discover a problem with your website. You should be the first to know. And it's super easy to get started. Just go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM right now for a 30-day free trial with no credit card required. When you're ready to buy, use the code MPU at checkout to get a huge 30% off your first invoice. Once again, that's pingdom.com slash RelayFM. Our thanks to Pingdom from SolarWinds for their support of the Mac Power users and all of RelayFM. All right, we covered copper wire we covered wi-fi let's go like a level deeper with networking uh, a common thing that uh comes up in these conversations is can you set something up where you can get back into your network if you leave so if you're at the office could you get into your home computer uh, apple used to have that built in to icloud it was called back to my mac but it's been gone now for years and there are a couple of different ways you could do this. You could set up something like uh, port forwarding, which what port forwarding is you do it on your uh, router. It says if traffic comes in over a specific port, this is the internal device that should answer that call. And so you can set up file sharing on your Mac and have port forwarding set up. And when you hit that port, it goes to your Mac. Um, I don't really recommend that unless you really need it because it can be fragile. A lot of ISPs have really cracked down on common uh, port forwarding configurations because they don't want you using their, I you know their service to host a website or host email or something. Yeah. And so yeah. that's become more difficult. And most ISPs, your your external IP address, your IP address that your home has, that can change. And you've got to keep up with that change. And there's some third-party tools to make that possible. But unless you really have some specific needs, I think something like Screens Connect is probably much more easy. Uh, Screens is a Mac and iOS and 
Uh, there's even a Windows version of Screens Connect. And basically, it lets you get back into your machine. And it kind of handles all the networking for you, like iCloud used to do. Yeah. Um, although I would say that I'm not sure. You know, be careful with that stuff. Yes. I mean, I, you're probably going to say the same thing. Oh, yeah. I mean, anytime you've got a machine that's open to the Internet, like you need to really make sure that any sharing you have, file sharing or anything like that, it has the the minimum uh, surface open as possible. So if you just need to share your downloads folder, don't share your whole user folder. Make sure that username and password setup is very, very good because you are, through one of these tools, you are opening your computer up to the internet. And that definitely comes with with risks. And so uh, honestly, I have given all of this up. Anything that I think I'm going to need, I have stored in Dropbox. And I'd much rather log into the Dropbox application uh, on my phone or even the website than have my Mac Pro open to the internet. Yeah. Um, another option you can use for that is Jump Desktop, which is part of Setup. Like if you want to do it, there's there's several options, and they install like a little server program on your on your Mac. And if someone comes knocking on the door from the internet and they've got your username and password, they're in. You know, and whatever authority you give them, they've got. And so there, there's some real risk to that. Um, in the past, I've done that like occasionally when I was going out of town. And I wanted the ability to tunnel in to my Mac in case something went wrong. And like you, I've stopped doing it because I just never used it. And Mm -hmm. I was like, I was leaving myself vulnerable with really no benefit. And with cloud storage, it's even less likely now. But if you've got your computer performing some kind of operation on hardware it's connected to and you need to get in, that's there. If you work for a company that wants you to VPN tunnel in to work remotely, I mean, I, I know there's plenty of people that have good reasons to use this stuff, and I don't want you to stop using it just because we're you know panicky about it. But I just think make sure you have good reasons for it because there are risks that come with it. Yeah, and and there are ways around it too. Like if you go to like a corporate VPN service, sometimes they've got a thing where, like when you knock on the door, it actually dials you back, and you have to be at a specific IP address or it won't connect. And I'm, there are ways to make this way more secure than just like anybody can come in and put your password in. But for most of the consumer solutions, they don't have that kind of protection. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I wouldn't just leave this running on a lark. I would have a good reason for it. Yeah, I, I was in the same position you were. I just realized, like, I don't, I don't actually use this, right? I use file sharing on my internal network. If I'm on my laptop in the living room on the couch and I need a podcast file off my Mac Pro in the office, I can do that across my local network. But I realized I was never doing it from the outside. So I moved away from it. And like I said, Dropbox meets that need because anything that I would need, like on a trip or something that was on my computer, it's going to either be on Dropbox or in an application that has its own sync, right? It's going to be in Apple Notes or 1Password or something. And so I realized like I just don't need this overhead. And so I've I've moved away from this. Yeah, agreed. Another nerdy bit of this that you should understand and maybe even play with a little bit is DNS services and DNS caching. Um, DNS is like the phone book for the internet. Like the internet is not going to have like MacPowerUsers.com. The internet is 
a specific IP address that points to MacPowerUsers.com. So when you type in MacPowerUsers.com, the internet has to understand what that what that address is, and that's that's what DNS is. So anytime you type in a name, whether it be MacPowerUsers.com, five twelve pixels, Max Sparky, whatever, it goes and compares those letters to a phone book that gets it an entry that says, okay, that's you know one two three point four five six point seven eight nine blah blah blah, mm-hmm. and then it goes to that site. Well, that that process takes time. And by usually when you get like a an ISP, like a cable company or even, you know, any ISP, they have a DNS server built into their service. So um, when you go to, to search for a website, you go through their DNS server. But they aren't necessarily motivated to make their DNS server particularly fast or effective or give you any controls. So using the built-in DNS a lot of times is not the best solution. There's third-party DNS services out there that can can make things better for you. Have you used any of these, Stephen? Uh, yes, I have. Um, I, In fact, right now, I use Cloudflare as my DNS. So I have that plugged into my router. And so all of my, all of my devices go through Cloudflare's DNS. It's 1.1.1.1. And yeah. it's really fast. And I haven't had any downtime with it. It's been it's been really, really great. Um, and the way you know uh, that your DNS may be slow is when you type an address and it takes a second to start loading. And then, and like, but once it's past that, it's pretty fast. So it's like during that lookup phase is when it feels slow. Um, you know, and chances are, your ISP has pretty crummy DNS servers because most of them do. Yeah, they don't spend a lot of time or money on it. And some of the DNS services, I believe Cloudflare does, I know OpenDNS does it as well, where you can go in and also do like filtering at the DNS level. Mm -hmm. So you can say if this is a known porn site or a known hate site or whatever, um, and someone asks for that address from my router, just don't give it to them. That's right. And don't go there. And so... Like if you've got kids around or, you know, whatever reason you want to filter your internet, the DNS level is really probably the most effective level because now it doesn't matter whether they're connecting via Wi-Fi or copper wire or whatever, um, or what software they've got, whether they're on Windows, you know, Android, Mac, iOS, whatever, they're just not going to get that address on your network. Eero does a cool thing. I really feel like I keep talking about Eero and I'm sorry guys, but this is the one that I use. So whatever, but they've got um, this thing called Eero labs. And one of the things they do um, is they have like test features. If you're on the Eero system and they've got local DNS caching at the, at the hardware level. And I've had that turned on for a while now and had no negative consequences for it. And so Eero is caching the DNS lookups I do locally on my hardware. And that's the fastest possible, you know, cache. You're not going to the internet at all. Eero also has its own filtering. And a lot of third-party routers do. For a long time, I used a, a Netgear router that was very popular, you know, in the 20. 12 2013 eras when I bought it and I used it up until I got my first set of Eros and it had filtering as well but what a lot of these do is like you, like we've said 
pick categories of content that I don't want available on my network. A lot of these systems for this filtering can also let you put devices into certain groups. And so maybe I want, you know, the the two iPads my kids use to have a stricter filtering than what I want for myself. Or maybe I want their devices to not connect to the internet after 10 p.m. And I can just tell the Eero, hey, after 10 p.m., this device, don't let traffic through. And so a lot of these third-party routers have added these uh, these features over time. And it gives you a lot of control, again, that you wouldn't have if you were just using what came from your internet service provider. Maybe they have a very basic version of it. And so if you have those concerns about content on your network or connectivity, these tools can take care of that too. And as someone who's got three kids in the house, you know, there is a lot of stuff on the internet I don't want available. Uh, I don't think they're the age where they would hunt it out, but at some point they will. And I, you know, that's not what we want for our kids. And so having the ability to know that they can browse and they're not going to run into things that I deem inappropriate, uh, that's important to me. And so I use, that's one reason I use the arrow because that stuff is really easy to set up there. And um, it means that anything on my network is, is sort of under my rules and that's how I want things to be. And the thing is kids can stumble into very gross and disgusting things on the internet without trying. And because it's just so much of it, I enable all this stuff when my kids are little and I've never turned it off. Yeah. Why not? But yeah, uh, so whatever company you're working through, they have, so in addition to Eero, I'm sure some of the other competitors oh, yeah. have it as well. And Absolutely. then there's also third-party services you can order. With the Eero, you also get a one password to encrypt.me, which is a VPN service and malware bites if you subscribe. But it's it's like a hundred bucks a year. It's not cheap. But um, I've I've gone to that because I just feel like it's it's easy. And now they're adding their own dynamic DNS service so it's fun to see these companies evolve as i think the theme throughout this show was that um networking is never static i mean i think we've kind of put a pin in this now for 2021 that uh these you know you want to look at the the wi-fi 6 stuff you want to have the hiring cable you want to make sure you have switches that can handle the bandwidth but you know this the story is not written you know i mean in a couple years there's going to be some other thing that gets faster and you don't have to think about it then that's a lot of networking talk david yeah but i do believe that if somebody sends you the badge in the middle you're entitled to wear it now you got okay. this yeah <laughs> once again it's not going to be me but you know <laughs> hopefully you get that badge wow or, or you can make your own you could really make that, your own. i would you know. say that the real badge is the one in your heart oh yeah there you go that's it <laughs> love of networking well just think about this the people that you love will love you so much because you've got a solid network running for them because oh yeah i mean i my uh i remember one time i was at the office so this is before i had come to work at home the internet stopped working for my wife and it was like distressing to her she called me at work and like I need the internet. I'm doing something for work and the internet is not working. You know, I mean, that, that is a big deal to your loved ones when the internet stops. 
that you can fix it because you're a Mac power user and now a networking power user. Before we let you go, I want to tell you about Make Do, another podcast here on Relay FM. It's hosted by Tiff Armit and Julia Scott. They talk about creation and hobbies and whether or not you should monetize them. Uh, Make Do is ready to be your cheerleader wherever you are on that spectrum. So listen as you work on your hobby at relay.fm slash make do or search for make do wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you to our sponsors, 1Password, Smile, Memberful, and Pingdom. We are the Mac Power Users. You can find us over at relay.fm slash MPU. You can find those forums at talk.macpowerusers.com. And we will see you next week.